This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Recently, uh, someone told me a story about an old British actor, I'm afraid I didn't get the name, who was being interviewed at the end of a long career. Uh, and he was asked about how he got his start in the theater. And apparently, as a young man, maybe in his uh, early 20s, he uh, had the good fortune to uh, work in the National uh, Theater under uh, Laurence Olivier. And uh, after one uh, rehearsal or performance there, Olivier said to someone else in the company about this actor, do you think that young man realizes how talented he is? And uh, this person reported it back to the, to the actor, who was, uh, of course, very pleased. But the next year, uh, Olivier left the uh, theater, and he was replaced as director, I think, by Peter Hall, who, in order to establish himself uh, as leader of the company, fired everybody who had Olivier had there and brought in a whole new group. Right? So this young actor uh, was suddenly thrown out on his own. Uh, and all the promise that Olivier had uh, seen in him uh, you know, uh, came to nothing. But one way or another, he stayed in theater and got this job and that job. And uh, I don't know his particular story, but evidently he had enough of a career that 50 years later he was being interviewed about it. Uh, it just never had the uh, trajectory that he, he had thought he had been promised. And at the end of uh, the interview, uh, this actor said one last thing. He said, that man ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you're left to ask, which man? Was it Peter Hall for firing him or Olivier for giving him this false hope? <laughs> so when we speak of caught in a self-centered dream. One of the ways we can think about that dream or identify it in our own life is in terms of whatever narrative arc we are using, uh, usually implicitly or unconsciously, to describe how our life is going or how it's gone. It's almost impossible not to have some background story of our life uh, running uh, in our heads. Some 
grid on which we are plotting our progress or our success or failure against some kind of standard or in terms of our nearness or distance from some uh, goal that we have in mind for ourselves. And we are very prone, almost inevitably, I'd say, to think in terms of our life as in terms of progress or failure. And it's not simply individuals that do that. I think it happens at every level. I think that uh, we hear, we see it in the way history is written, whether we write history in terms of progress or the development of one nation or the conquest of others by one, the building of empires, the fall of empires, whether we see this as some kind of progress culminating in where we are, what what kind of narrative arc we put on the whole history of our country, of our people, how we see for even things like the transmission of Zen to the West, whether this is a constantly progressive expansion of the truth into new areas where it hasn't existed before, right? Or whether we see it as a much more haphazard and hodgepodge kind of thing with success here, failure there, complications, right? Possible to tell stories like that in all sorts of ways. Um, I remember one Zen teacher telling me when he got transmission, uh, his teacher said, the most important thing from now on in your life is to find your own Dharma successor. Everything is oriented towards transmission in the next generation. Right? Easy to have that kind of arc of purpose and success and failure even about the Dharma. And yet another teacher I've met said that um, she didn't think about Dharma successes at all. She ran a little group and she felt when she was no longer able to run it, it would simply close down and it would be over. Nothing is permanent, she said. Isn't that what we teach? And that sounded wonderful too. Possible to tell very different stories about uh, transmission, what we're up to. We could go into versions of that in a lot of detail. But one thing I would suggest is that we need to try to get clearer about what kind of story we tell ourselves. Those stories of the how am I doing and am I there yet kinds of stories, right? Now, there's obviously some aspects of our life that exist in that kind of relative timeline. You know, if you're going to college, there's a beginning and there's a graduation, right? If you're trying to learn a language or a musical instrument or build a house, there's a goal, there's an end point. You can plot how far along you are in it. 
And uh, you can say in some way or another whether you succeeded and failed, you know, whether the whether you finally learn the language or whether the house falls down, you know, it's possible to have criteria for success. And what I'm suggesting is we have a big temptation, which we call a self-centered dream, to view our life in terms like that, of a project that has goals and can be measured in terms of success and failure. And while there always are going to be aspects of life uh, that we can think of that way, we would say that in Zen, what we call enlightenment, what we call, or even what we call the absolute, is a perspective that completely does away with those questions of am I there yet or how am I doing? And what's the alternative to that? Well, it's what we, we, we say being just this moment, compassion's way. See, it's being just this moment sometimes gets uh, understood in a way of sort of fetishizing, you know, each little moment of uh, attention, you know, uh, where we put all of our attention and just chewing our food or just lighting the candle or just washing the dishes, right? That, that's one, one version of it, where we just give all our attention to the one thing in front of us in the moment. And that's true, but the, the bigger psychological obstacles uh, to really being in the moment have to do with seeing the moment as part of a whole linear narrative that's going uphill or going downhill, <laughs> right? And that we have some idea of where that moment stands in relation to all the other moments, right? When we're putting a moment in relation to other moments, we're not being just this moment, right? We're standing outside of it and creating some big picture of how we're doing. Like I say, we're not, there's going to be aspects of our life where we're always going to do that. But there's something about this practice that says it's possible to create a place in our lives where that stops completely. Where we don't know who we are or how we're doing or where we're going or what any of it means. We can't, I don't think, will ourselves into that kind of state of immediacy. The only way I think we're going to arrive there is to get very uh, honest about the narratives that we do tell ourselves. And that we have to get them out of an unconscious background and into a foreground where we can see them as narratives. We have to get in the habit of saying, could we tell that story a different way? See, I see that in my, even in myself. I mean, I generally can look at how my life is going and say, 
I've gotten to do what I wanted to do, you know, becoming an analyst and a teacher and being able to practice with you here like this. It's a certain kind of narrative. Uh, everything is going, going well and in the direction I want. But I could tell different stories, and that, you see, that's a, that's a nice story to tell, and it's easy to get complacent in it. But I could tell a story another way, in which, you know, sitting here uh, teaching, what do we have today, 16 people. How come I don't have a center with 16, 160 people, or 1,600 people, right? Why am I not spreading the Dharma out? all over the country, all over the world. Why can't I be more like Sharon Salzberg, give <laughs> talks in 50 <laughs> countries, right? <laughs> well, there are a lot of reasons I'm not doing that, but you see, it's another way to judge what I'm doing. I could tell a different story, compare myself to somebody else. I could say, how come my books don't sell as well as Mark Epstein's? <laughs> Why don't I get more royalties? Eh? <laughs> right? By and large, I don't uh, plague myself with comparisons. But, you know, I could also use that to say, you know, maybe I've really got to work at my writing a little more. Maybe there's something about what I'm doing that doesn't uh, communicate as well as I'd like to. You know, you can tell, make comparisons like that as a way to have motivation as well as, well as to just... Uh, give yourself a hard time. But it's the multiplicity of narratives that are possible that sort of shows us that no one narrative is just the facts, is just the way it is. Right? In a large part, what our practice has to do is to deconstruct that common sense view of knowing how things are and where they're going and what it all adds up to. Right? In Zen, there's a lot of talk about don't know mind, right? Just don't know. Part of what we don't know is how we're doing. We don't know where we're going, what it adds up to. We don't know whether we're there yet, right? That don't know means undercut your certainty about how you're doing. easiest way to get stuck in one of these narratives is, assume, is to assume you don't have one. To think that you have a natural sense of the way things are. But we all are stuck in a self-centered dream of one kind or another. And in order to wake up, we first have to be clearer about the dream that we're dreaming. 